augmenters. Bill Murray gives us valuable insights he's learned from his relationships and reminds us that a huge part of looking for a mentor guide requires first to look within. Even if you don't have the classic Hollywood cachet of Jack Valenti, it's still crucial to take a look in the mirror before searching for others. But when needing to quell unruly pirate bootleggers, an unlikely tandem of DVD sniffing dogs can be your salvation. Believe you me, coffee not needed here, but highly recommended for our discussion. Here's Bill. Bill runs the National Coffee Association, which anybody who knows me knows it's basically above everything. Not maybe my kids, I'm not sure. Probably my husband, no, a lot of things. Coffee is like the most important, is like my favorite thing. This whole situation runs on coffee. Don't know how I would live without it. So when we Perfect. met and I had the opportunity to help create a strategic, or help with you to do strategic planning for the National Coffee Association, it was basically my dream job and what I felt I was legitimately put on this earth to do and getting to spend time with you and your great organization and the other folks there was really one of my favorite projects I've, I've ever done. Um, don't tell my other clients or the other people I do projects with, but no. it was really fun. And what I appreciated, Bill, is I met you at a point in my career where I was just really getting to be a leader. I was just really feeling comfortable in my own leadership and I was able to sort of see my organization as something beyond just me and to grow. And you really saw that in me and you really reflected it back in me. And um, it really was like, it really was a huge change in my career during that time. So you certainly probably didn't think of yourself as being a mentor to me. You're just my client, but um, you really were for me as well. So I just wanted to say that and say a big thank you to you for that. It was really, it meant a ton to me. Well, thank you. Listen, I think we're done here. Peace out. I am super happy. And I wish you guys well with this because you just validated me in ways that I never get. So I, I, I there's nothing more to say. Thank you. It's great. It's all true. It's all true. As I'm drinking my cold brew. So I'd love, Bill, if you don't mind, just, just you know, I know you and Jimmy caught up a little bit, but maybe a little bit about your background or, or how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Bill Murray. I'm the president of the National Coffee Association. Uh, the National Coffee Association is a trade association. And what that really means is we represent a very large group of companies and organizations that have an interest in the coffee business. So whether these are trucking companies, shipping companies, coffee companies, they all have a common interest in seeing more people drink more coffee in seeing a healthier business environment. And that's what we do. So I run the association. We're actually a very small organization, uh, nine people, just under a $4 million budget. Certainly personally, $4 million is a lot of money, but in terms of a trade association, this is a, a little itty bitty organization. Small but mighty. Yeah, so, so Bill, I, I was doing a little research and uh, is one of your interview questions or like, you know, to be part of the team uh, that if you put anything in your coffee, you are immediately disqualified. You have to drink coffee black. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, we have one or two people on our staff who don't even drink coffee. And <gasps> I, I know, I know. And I, I, I promise not to tell you. How do you who trust them, Bill? How do you well, trust them? How do you trust well, people who don't drink coffee? Well, well, I'll tell you, it's funny. You know, after I got hired at the Coffee Association, one of our staff people came up to me. And this person was terrified, absolutely terrified, and came up to me. So I have this confession to make. And, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. What is it? I just got hired. 
I don't drink coffee. And I was like, wow. Okay, well, we'll work on that. But uh, in the meantime, we got work to do. So, uh, you know. <laughs> and before and pre-coffee, you had a, you had a whole life pre-coffee. You did some other Well, I did. So I'm really a trade association executive. Uh, what I like about working in trade associations is the work is never boring. You're trying to build a consensus among companies that are in competition with each other, usually. And very often, they're asking you to take care of things that are category-wide, that are new issues, that are technical issues, where any individual company can't deal with it on its own. So I worked for 22 years and worked for the Motion Picture Association of America. I worked with Paramount Pictures and Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox and all their divisions. And this was a time in the world when the movie business, the entertainment business, was moving from an analog world to a digital world. The world for movie companies, it really hadn't changed in about 100 years. They were still putting film in projectors, and suddenly their whole world was upside down. People were downloading movies without permission. People were making DVDs, and there were, there were huge factories of illegal movie, uh, movies being made around the world. There's a poster on the wall behind me. Uh, I led to the creation of a pair of Labrador Retrievers who were DVD-sniffing dogs used by our anti-piracy team. So my job, my background professionally, is in managing complex organizations, taking on issues that one company or a couple companies can't really deal with. And it's at the intersection of public relations, technology, regulation, government, all these things. Sometimes I get asked a question, uh, what's a typical day at an association? And the answer is, and I really mean this, there is no typical day. And that's why I like what I do, because it's always something different. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, so how did you come up with uh, two dogs to sniff out the, the issues? Because I know you're good at dealing with competition, but it seems like one dog wants to be alpha and, and the other one's going to be beta. You know, how, how'd, you, how'd you navigate that? Well, these two dogs, you can look them up on Wikipedia, Lucky and flow the world's first dvd sniffing dogs so what, what was happening was uh, the people that were making bootleg dvds these were really factories or factories in russia and china and these dvds were getting shipped all over the world so we were working with customs officials in different countries and asking them to look for shipments that looked a little janky in terms of the paperwork or the packaging but a funny thing happened you know i met i met a woman who was sponsoring landmine sniffing dogs landmine sniffing dogs in bosnia and then i read an article about dogs that were being trained to treat cancer and i was talking to some of the people that were working for me on this anti-piracy thing and they said look this is out of control we can't keep up with this the number of bootleg DVDs running through these huge warehouses is so enormous that the people that were working with, they just can't keep up. And so I looked at them and I said, well, we should have a couple of dogs to go out there and sniff these things out. And it was interesting, you know, about half the people in the room laughed at me. About half the people in the room looked at me like I probably was drinking or something. They were like, what? 
And I was like, well, no, they sniff landmines, they sniff cancer. Why can't we train a couple of dogs to sniff DVDs? So it turns out that a DVD has a certain type of plastic, an optical grade polycarbonate, like in the lenses of your eyeglasses. Oh, wow. So we could teach the dogs to sniff that out. And the way you, you teach dogs to do this when they're very young, you crate train them, you keep them in their crates. And anytime you bring anything good, you bring along with it a DVD. You bring a tennis ball and a DVD, a bowl of food and a DVD, a treat and a DVD, a leash to go for a walk in the park and a DVD. And pretty soon everything in their little doggy lives is associated with the DVD. Everything and it's really good. And then you let them off the leash in the warehouse to see what happens. And they think they're playing and they go running up to a big crate and they start barking very happily. They think they're going to get a tennis ball or a doggy treat or something. And the customs official takes the, the bill of lading. And if it says something other than legitimate DVDs, they bust open that crate and they find what's in there. So these two dogs went all over the world. They had more frequent flyer miles than most people, uh, but we got a lot of media and we got a lot of attention from people. And that was part of what we were doing, raising awareness. Jimmy, I can't even believe my mind's blown because we're, our whole thing was Sherlock and like searching. This is like our whole part of this, uh, of the mentoring thing that we wanted to talk about was searching. Little did we know that Lucky and Flo were like the most amazing mentor searching dogs also we didn't even i didn't even put that together you'd be a perfect one for for this sherlock that is such i love that story isn't that amazing uh, bill i'm actually blown away because i thought you were like oh yeah we got some cute dogs it'll be like nice for media to like talk about them sniffing them out but you're like no they're actually sniffing out dvds like <laughs> right blown. right so so the question we used to get all the time which we didn't tell anybody for years how do the dogs know the difference between a legitimate DVD and a bootleg DVD? And the answer was they had no idea, they're dogs. But the thing is, the illegitimate, the, the, the bootleg DVDs, they were all hidden somewhere. So, you know, if a dog is running through a, a flea market in Malaysia and they start barking at this stall and the stall is selling pocketbooks and handbags and, and there's probably some bootleg DVDs back there. So we didn't tell anyone for a really long time that the dogs couldn't process intellectual property rights in their heads, you know. I thought you were going to say something <laughs> that, 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 like, it, it was very clear that the dogs would only uh, find, uh, you know, Adam Sandler movies as bootleg, yet, you know, Quentin Tarantino was, of course, you know, legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. No, I, I couldn't go there because, you know, we love all our children equally when you work for a trade association, you see, so everyone's a favorite, yeah. There you go. Well, well, that that is a, a a fantastic. You know, love all our children equally. I'm I'm curious uh, for you if you ever had any. And we use the term when we talk about uh, mentees. We talk about believers, people that believe in themselves. Uh, so, were you ever uh, the mentor or guide to anyone who really had an effect on you, where you were kind of maybe more in that mentor? Uh, guide role, yet uh, a, a mentee believer really had an effect on you and changed your outlook at all? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, there are a number of people who I've had those experiences with. I think one of the things that's very interesting, I mean, we're, we're, on, we're on video here. You can see my gray hair. You know, I, I go back a few decades and this idea of mentorship is somewhat recent. 
And, and what I would say is when I was younger, the idea that people had mentors wasn't such an obvious thing. There were certainly people that we would look up to, people we would learn from, but the idea of a structured or formal relationship wasn't so much of a thing. And I find in my own relationships with my mentees or, or people that I'm working with, they tend to be more unstructured relationships. I tend to work with people very often have just asked me to work with them, but people who I've respected or seen something in that attracts me to work with them. And I think the key thing here for me is that in helping people ask their, answer their own questions, you can get a sense of what your thought process is, of what the things are that you value, how you go about making decisions. And I think if you're paying attention as a mentor, that can make you a better executive and it can make you more effective, even individually. Someone comes to you and asks you a question and they say, you know, how did you make the decisions that you made to get where you are? And sometimes we don't even ask ourselves these questions, right? We don't reflect on what's taken us here. And so when we get questions like that, it's an opportunity to step back and to think about who we are and how we got here and what we can share with other people. And so truthfully, every time I interact with somebody with whom I've got this type of relationship, I grow a little bit and I get something out of it every single time. I probably wouldn't be doing it if I didn't, to be honest. So does it feel like it just it kind of happens more naturally? There isn't necessarily a you know, sort of formal process that you've had where people have come and, you know, sat down and said, Bill, will you be my mentor? You know, here's what it entails. Here's the, you know, timeline of which I'm looking. Or have you had people who have wanted more of kind of a formal uh, relationship with you that way? No, I, well, so great questions. Um, I used to work at a different association before I came here in between the Motion Picture Association and this. And we worked to set up a formal mentorship program. And, you know, I'm not quite sure how well that worked for everybody. They were all volunteers. And I'm not sure that you can force these relationships if the chemistry isn't there and if both parties aren't on the same wavelength. And, and so for me, and I'm just, you know, I'm just speaking personally, there's all different kinds of programs yeah. out there. But I, but I can tell you as a mentor, that's exactly, Julie, how my relationships have come about. People have come to me and they've asked me questions. They said, hey, I'm thinking about this or that. Do you have any suggestions or advice? And we'll have a conversation. We'll brainstorm a little bit. And then they might come back in a couple of months. So we have another conversation. And it tends to grow organically. And I think for me, I like that a lot. I like that organic relationship where it comes about built around specific issues or needs. Um, I especially like the chemistry. You know, if I don't feel comfortable with somebody, um, and part of this is ethics. It's the type of questions they're asking. It's what their focus is on. You know, someone comes to me and says, I've got a business issue. How do I make more money? That, that's not something I really have an interest in helping somebody with. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm working in an allied organization with you. I'm not sure this is the right organization for me. I like what I do. I'm committed. I'm wrestling with some questions. That's the kind of thing that I think is worth 
deeper reflection again if you feel good about the person you're talking to and, and what they're trying to do I actually love that because it reminds me so much of the certs that we were talking about. I mean, the fact that Bill, you know, I would consider you a mentor. Obviously, Jimmy and I have gone through phases where we've mentored each other in different ways, and now we're doing this together. So it's like you couldn't, I couldn't have predicted that in any way. I couldn't have said, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to go talk to this person. These are people who I would imagine be my mentor. But I think when you're just open to it and you're really open to lots of conversations, you're open to um, putting yourself in situations where you're talking to people of, of different walks of life or, you know, in different areas. And again, kind of judging that chemistry, right? As somebody, uh, and Jimmy and I talk a lot about this, we were saying the personal and the professional, you know, this person's doing something, Bill, I look to you as somebody who's doing something really cool and meaningful and challenging and amazing in your life. And then also, you know, you were a lot of fun and you were able to laugh and you were able to, you know, it seemed like you were enjoying what you were doing um, as well. And that was something that I really admired about you. So I think just putting yourself in situations um, where you can, can find, you know, these, these potential mentors, maybe not in such a formal situation. I, I think, you know, this, this question about formal mentorship versus informal, I, I would almost, from my perspective, I would reframe this. I would say, as you're thinking about mentorship, the question really is, who can you learn from? And, you know, if you're, if you're at a university, you've got one professor is teaching you one thing, another professor is teaching you another. You have a bunch of different people in different disciplines helping to educate you. There's no reason you shouldn't continue to think about that as you go through life. You know, it's a, a, someone is a good CFO, they can teach you about financial skills. And once you feel comfortable in that, you might want to move on and get a different set of skills. I think, and, and this is probably a bit heretical, there's also the anti-mentoring. There's no reason you can't look at people and say, I don't want to be like that person. Why not? What am I? No, I'm, I'm very serious. And, and I'll tell you a story from my own my own career. Please. I was working at the Motion Picture Association, and I was working for a gentleman who was uh, incredible. I mean, just wonderful. But one night, he sent an email up, and I was a very junior executive, and very typical in terms of how his uh, stylistic approach was. And he said, "I need this by before you go home tonight. Make sure I get this before you go home." So I was at the office until, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm going to take you way, way back. We didn't have even a fax machine. We had a telex <laughs> machine, okay? And, and so here's the thing about telex machines. There's a keyboard, and the keyboard operator types in the message, and the message gets punched in holes, little tiny pinprick holes in like a ticker tape. And here's what that meant. There's no white out. There's no backspace, okay? When a hole is punched, a hole is punched. And this was a very technical issue. I was working with somebody who was challenged with the machine. I don't know how late we were there trying to get the tape all set, sent it from New York to Washington. And I was under strict instructions, make sure this thing gets delivered. I called the office in Washington. I got the front desk and it was the security guard who was there. And I said, I need to make sure my boss got this. And he said, yeah, I'm sure he got it. No, that's not good enough. I need you to go down and check and make sure you got it. He said, he, said, he went home at 630. He's not getting that tonight. And I was horrified. I said, well, wait a minute. He told me he had to have this tonight. It was absolutely crucial. He said, well, I don't know anything about that, but I know he's probably home asleep in bed right now. Okay. So, so what had happened? I had been given an arbitrary deadline 
that was completely pointless and meaningless. And I had moved heaven and earth to make that happen when I didn't need to. And then when that became revealed, it really led me to question, well, about all these deadlines, are they real? Are they fake? Right? So what did I take away? You know, I could have been angry. I, no, you know what my message was to me? It was, I've learned something. I don't want to do that to somebody on the other end. So when I create deadlines for the people that work with me, they're either going to be real deadlines or we're going to come up with them together. And very often I work with people and I say, look, I want you to do this. And, you know, people that are very focused will say, when do you need a buy? And I'll turn that around very consistently. When can you get it to me? I expect you to deliver it when you tell me that, but you know your workload better than I. You've got a good sense of this assignment. When, you know, when can you get that to me? So in, in this case, I was mentored, but sort of the anti-mentor in the reverse. Don't make up deadlines, give them to people, and then go to sleep, <laughs> literally. And Bill, that story must have been quite a while ago. Even that's older than, maybe that's even older than me. I don't think I ever worked with that kind of, I did work with fax machines, but that was, so that has stuck with you all these years and you probably use that, you know, anti-mentoring, mentoring still today. Well, absolutely. And so, you know, when you look at people, and, and this, again, this is back to this question of, chemistry and you know taking stock of people and who you want to have a deeper professional or personal relationship with in terms of your mentoring looking at people and you know you can look at somebody and say well gee i don't like the way he or she is conducting themselves that person's not going to be my mentor and you can just check out right there but you also have the opportunity to say what is it about this person what are they doing that i don't i'm not agreeing with here and is there a lesson in this for me? So I think there's a lot of opportunities. You know, Jimmy, we were talking before this started about the idea of horizontal mentoring or mentoring cross cultures. One of the expressions that I've heard, I don't like the expression, it's reverse mentoring. It's when young people teach old people like me, for example, you know, how to plug in a USB port into their computer because <laughs> They're digital natives. Tech support, not mentoring. Well, well, no, but but you know, for example, if we're trying to work up a social media strategy, I mean, very seriously, okay, I might want to be talking to a digital native on my team versus trying to say, well, you know, I remember we used to take out ads on billboards, you know, or say, you know, I've used, I, I tweeted, you know, it's like, okay, have enough presence to be able to say, okay. I don't really swim in these waters like these other folks do. Can you teach me? Like, what is it about this? You know, why should we be doing it this way or that way? So oh, I, I think this idea of mentoring, I think there are absolutely moments and opportunities when you want to connect with somebody, uh, career advice, for example. I think career advice in particular is something where a person is better suited to give you advice the better they get to know you, right? Yeah. But if you're looking for a specific skill set or you've got a particular issue, you might just look at other people that are doing really well or that you admire or that you don't admire and see what lessons are good or bad and see what you can take in. I think when it does come to career advice, oh, you really want to, you don't want to hit and, you know, you don't want to drive by. You want to talk to somebody who's gotten to know you over time who's got a sense of who you are and what you value 
because those types of decisions are, are deep decisions. Um, that kind of advice is much more intimate and personal. What are your passions? What are your interests? What do you really dislike? But I think looking at mentorship in this variety of ways, where are all the people I can learn from? Uh, it's definitely how I thought about it over the years. Bill, I, I, I love that you can't have career advice be a drive-by mentoring. I, I, I think that term is wonderful and uh, it really speaks to that kind of like length of a relationship and something that we talk about all the time about, you know, building consistency, building comfort, whatever uh, you call it. Uh, I also found, you know, you're, you, you immediately, uh, and it was clear why we're getting along, but you said, hey, I'm not into reverse mentoring. I don't like that term. And that's something that Julie and I have talked about nonstop because it seems it's just so hierarchical and kind of protecting generational power where you're like, oh, well, oh, look how nice it is that a younger person could help me. And I'm like, what do you, what, I, that seems ridiculous in that there's so much I can learn uh, from people older and younger from me. We all have such a, a you know, wide array of experiences. Um, do you have a term that you do like, and we call it evolutions in ours, where potentially sometimes, you know, the, the, the believer uh, and mentee can become the guide mentor and vice versa. Uh, is there a certain, you know, uh, time in your life where that relationship has flipped? Like, uh, it doesn't have to be plugging in a USB port, as you said, maybe it's a fax machine. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think what uh, I'm working with a couple of people right now where um, they've just blown me away over and over again in terms of their adaptability. Um, I think we, we tend to think of this more often in a technical context because of the digital native, digital immigrant situation. But I think it's actually much, much deeper than this. And I think it's deeper because along generational lines, we are seeing all sorts of conversations breaking in different directions. Whether we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether we're talking about technology, you know, just for example, uh, very recently at the Olympics that we just saw in Japan, we saw a number of athletes who had mental health issues. This is certainly something that we're all becoming more comfortable talking about in the workplace. Again, a generation ago, nobody talked about this. No one talked about it ever. So oh, I think when we're talking about this idea of mentoring across generational lines, people in my generation have a lot to learn by sitting around and listening to a different generation, whether they're talking openly and comfortably about their mental health issues, about the DEI questions that our whole country we're wrestling with or with technical issues, whether it's social media. And I think people in my situation, we absolutely have to stop, listen and learn because if we're, if we're simply going to, you know, put our head down and say, you know, we didn't do it that way. We're not gonna, then there's no future for you as an executive or for your organization, uh, because the world is changing rapidly, violently sometimes and we all have to adapt. so no jimmy i don't really have an expression for it um i would just call it mutual respect quite frankly where that's a pretty good expression <laughs> well I, I i think we have to be humble enough to to realize that a lot of people can teach us a lot of different things you know i worked in the movie business for 20 years 22 years and i know this is going to shock you but it made me a little cynical about a number of things you know and, <laughs> no 
uh, I know, go figure. And, and every now and then, you know, something will come up in the workplace and I'll get kind of cynical. Oh, we just got our, this thing came in and, you know, and I've got this one person on my staff who's always, you know, looking at that glasses half full and said, well, you know, maybe, maybe the person just blah, blah, blah. And I hit the pause button. I always do. And I said to her, you know, I, I really got to give it to you. You know, you helped me balance my perspective. You helped me be a little less cynical, you know, a little. And, um, and, and I think that's good rather than jumping to conclusions all the time. Now, I respect her opinion. You know, I just, I respect her as a team member, as a person. Um, and when she speaks about something like this, I listen. So that's how I see it ultimately. So, Bill, I, I'm a little concerned, though, about the diction in the office. Do you actually say glass half full or mug half full? Ah, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's uh, <laughs> Well, it depends if it's a coffee drinker, if it's cold brew, if it's iced um, coffee. It's a very complicated question, Jimmy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but all coffee I, is fabulous coffee. All coffee right. is good coffee. We love all our children equally, whether that's, it's that's right. know, out of a pod or out of a, you know, whatever, Keurig, doesn't matter. Um, Bill, I have a question for you. Do If we, you know, say, I think both of us pretty quickly uh, could kind of come up with a list of our people that we perceive to be mentors, whether they knew it or not. Did you have somebody that you had in, early on in your career? Of course, you have the anti-mentor. But did you right. have anybody that you felt like really... Um, you know, that you could look to or that you could mention? Yeah, yeah, there were two people. Um, and, you know, sometimes the anti-mentor and the mentor can be in the same person, right? And, Ooh, and we're not talking- that's a deep thought. Right, we're not talking about schizophrenia here. I mean, we're talking about somebody <laughs> who in some regards is very admirable in terms of what they're doing. And then sometimes you see an aspect or characteristic that, um, that is disappointing because we're all complicated creatures, right? I mean, this human condition, we want to be alone. Sometimes we want to be with people. We, we want to travel. We want to stay at home. We're, we're all very complicated. And I think our mentors will be complicated too. So there are two people, very opposite types of individuals. Uh, I worked in Hollywood for a man named Jack Mulaney for years and years and years. Jack, um, he grew up in Texas. He worked in the Johnston administration. He was in the Army Air Corps. He was a short, tough, bulldog kind of guy. And, you know, the first day, one of the first times uh, an issue came up, I was fresh out of grad school. And we had an office for the Motion Picture Association in Dakar, Senegal. And we were trying to get our money out of Senegal. And so I got a, a message that we couldn't get our money out. And I ripped this off the telex machine and I went running into his office. <laughs> and I said, and he was a lot older than I was, right? So I called him Mr. Valenny. And, and I said, Mr. Valenny, we have a problem. We can't get our money out of setting all. And he looked at me and he kind of growled and he said, and therefore. And I thought, what the heck? And I said, well, therefore we have a problem in setting all, right? And he looked at me and he said, and therefore, and, and so I did what you kind of do with like old people, you, you speak more slowly and loudly, right? And, and I said, so therefore, Mr. Valani, we have a problem in Senegal. And he looked at me and, and he called me Murray for years. You know, I don't think he actually even knew if I was William Murray or Murray Goldfarb, or I was just Murray, right? In the movie. And he looked at me and he said to me, Murray, 
He said, uh, if you want a job working in the mailroom, I can arrange that. And then you can bring me messages and tell me we have problems. I'm not sure you're going to like that because you seem like a bright boy. But I can arrange that. But if you want to be an executive, you need to bring me solutions. Don't bring me problems. Don't ever come in here and tell me we have a problem. Tell me what you recommend. Stick to it. Expect to be argued with. When I ask you, therefore, I want to know what you recommend and what the implications are. So, so I said, so therefore, I'm going back to my desk. I'll be back in a while, OK? <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm gonna go figure it out. <laughs> and so, you know, what I learned from him, and this is particularly relevant in an association world, okay? I work for a group of companies, hundreds of them, that are all competitors. And that means that in order for us to do what we do as a trade association, we need to build consensus. We need to be transparent. That involves a lot of committees. And so very often one of the criticisms of trade association work is that we're bureaucratic and we're slow and it takes forever to get something done. And sometimes people that work in associations, they just get lost in the process or the process becomes an excuse. And what Jack taught me in that moment was never to lose sight of the action of the outcome of what it was we needed to do for our constituents and the people we represented. And that to be an effective executive, the question wasn't to come in and present information and say, what do you want to do? It was to come in and say, I recommend we do this. You needed to have enough humility and self-understanding to admit that you're wrong, to be corrected. You couldn't go in and make a recommendation and just fight to the death over it. But you needed to come in prepared to make an argument. And that was what I learned from Jack over the years. He was action-oriented. He was decisive. He wanted to move and get things done. But another fellow that I worked with was almost the opposite. And he was continually asking the question, what does the person on the other side of this issue want? What are their motivations? And so what that did when you put these two together, was it helped you approach an issue not simply as a set of facts, but what are the circumstances that have brought the other people to the table? Sometimes it's just their ego. Sometimes they've got outcomes we're looking for that are not really explicit or being spoken. How do you do a better job of understanding what they want to make sure that as you move things to action, you're not just looking at an issue as a set of facts or numbers, but you're thinking about the people. You know, the colloquial expression that we have is sometimes it doesn't exactly matter what you say, it's how you say it. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is really the same kind of lesson from the other fellow. And his, his lesson very simply was you need to understand the people in the room and their motivations if you're going to be successful working with a group of people who very often hate each other because they're in competition with each other. And so those two people, almost like a yin and yang, you know, one was decisive, straight on, do something. And the other, the fellow ran the uh, Motion Picture Association all office in Latin America for years. His name was Harry Stone, S-T-O-N-E. And he taught me, both of these gentlemen are, are long gone, but he taught me a lot about people, about listening, 
and about being empathetic to the person on the other side of the table. Doesn't mean you have to like them. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. In fact, it makes you even more powerful mm -hmm. if you can get beyond not liking them, but you can understand them still what they're trying to accomplish and what they mean to be successful and to feel good at the end of any, any negotiation or transaction or any interaction with them. Yes, and actually, they're both so in, they're both so relevant for you, Bill, because you are both those ways. At least in the time that we spent together professionally, I think you also brought that to me because I had not had the experience of working with the trade association. We were trying to get everybody aligned on a strategic plan, which is not you know one of the easiest of the tasks. But that idea, especially the first one, first of all, solutions, right? We can't just sit here and go, oh my god, oh my god, we have no money, like blah, 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 we have no whatever, like whatever. Obviously, like what kind of solutions are we going to get? And then what does everybody in the room actually really want? And what do yes. they actually need? And how do they need to be heard to feel like they are part of the process, which is actually part of mentoring too. And a lot of the words that you're using and you're talking about empathy, you're talking about listening, you're talking about all those things are a lot of the things that we use as we're talking about mentoring as well, which is why you, you know, again, came off as a mentor to me right away because you just had that natural way of that you were showcasing kind of all those traits um which which is is part of you know being a mentor and mentoring so um that's so cool and that it was so early in your career and that you've taken it you know just the last 10 years since you've met those men yeah absolutely i i, I think <laughs> i i think one of uh, one of the most critical things as you think about your career and where you're going you you want to connect with somebody who can help make sure that you're asking the right questions. Mm. You know, there's an Egyptian, there's an Egyptian writer, um, Najib Mahfouz, he, he's a Nobel um, prize winning author. And this, this expression is attributed to him. And it's, but you can tell how wise somebody is by their questions. It's really the questions. And I think, you know, what you should be looking for in a mentor, I think is not someone who's gonna give you a bunch of answers. Because they really don't know the answers that are right for you and the answers that you need. What they should be doing is helping you make sure that you're asking the right questions, whether these are questions of yourself or in a business environment, helping you understand how you go about answering those questions and then letting you find the answers on your own. I mean, you know, Julie, if I come to you and I say, well, Julie, what, what should my next career choice be? And, and just anyone who's watching, I'm very happy. I'm not going anywhere, right? So but if I come to you and say to you, know, Julie, what's my next career choice? And you say, you should sell oh, well, you gelato. Should what's that? <laughs> you should sell gelato. I should sell gelato, right? Or you should go work for the tea association because coffee and tea <laughs> fit together perfectly. And I'd be sitting here saying, yeah, but I don't know that I really want to do that, right? The, the, the conversation really becomes, well, what is it you like about what you're doing? What would you like to do more of? Right. What type of environment do you want to work in? What sort of risk do you want to take? Have you asked yourself those questions and how do those add up to a particular further set of questions and inquiry? Who might you talk to? Where might you look to learn more about those opportunities? Oh, so I think as we, we think about mentoring, I think one must really uh, take pains to avoid thinking about this transactionally. You know, transactionally. Hey, Jimmy, I, I I need a mentor. Can you tell me like what are the three things I should do next week? Right? It's like th that is not really you know what's going to be helpful 
because you're going to get three answers are probably not right for you. You will not learned how to go through that, that process of self inquiry. You know, um, I, I was talking to somebody a couple of months ago, um, he's been in a position for 15 years. He's really unhappy. He's a good friend of mine. Actually, I used to work for me and he said, you know, I need help. I need to find a new job. I got to get out of way. Um, and I said, well, I understand that, you know, people have been really stressed out lately. Um, you know, let me, let me look at your resume. So he shoots his resume over and his resume was a collection of the different things he was doing. And, and I said, you know, the thing is, this is a perfect description of what your job is right now. Is that the job you want? Because if you just want to keep that job or get another version of that job, and it's kind of a weird job because it's a little bit of A, B, and C, right? And you're probably not going to find another job just like this. Well, no, that's the whole point. He said, I want to get out of here. I want to do something different. Well, let's go a little deeper, okay? What are the skill sets that you have? How are you interacting with your customers? How are you helping them? What are skills that are transferable? How do we abstract these? Now, I didn't write all that down for him. I just asked him those questions, you know, and I said to him, you know, what really needs to happen next year is you need to think about those answers because if you give this to a recruiter or a hiring manager, I can trust, I can, I can guarantee you, they're not going to look at this and say, oh, I've got a perfect job that looks exactly like, they're not going to know what to do with this. Okay. So oh, let's talk more deeply about who you are as a professional, how you present that. And which of those things that you're doing right now are things you want to do more of and there's a market for? I, I think that's how I think about mentorship. You know, it's not, hey, what kind of job should I go look for? I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? You know? So so I think as as mentees, if you want to continue to use the, the language, think about their mentors. How can you find somebody to help you with the deeper, bigger questions on an ongoing basis? How can you learn from other people on a transactional short-term basis? That there's a CFO, I really admire his command of financial issues. What can I learn from him in the short term? And I think trying to mix all this together rather than just, you know, thinking about this simply or transactionally will lead to a happier, more valuable and longer term relationship. Bill, I, I love it. You you have a, such a good way of being able to both cut to the chase with the and therefore, yet also really kind of explain, you know, all the different pieces in the background as well, especially, you know, uh, that quote about, uh, you know, the wise person knows, uh, you know, how to ask and when to ask certain questions. So I, I'm curious if I can ask you a question here of, sure. do you have and you also obviously have a lot of uh, experience with mentoring, uh, listening to the anti-mentor, you know, uh, the mug is half full, all that stuff. Uh, but is there a certain favorite, you know, article, video, book, or any kind of piece of consumption that you think any mentee believer, or maybe even someone to help a mentor guide, uh, you know, is there any one piece that you always are like, hey, you should really check this out if you're about to kind of jump into this relationship? You know, Jimmy, um, I, you guys were very kind to send me some questions before the session. So oh, you didn't, uh, I didn't come up empty. Um, and I thought long and hard about this question. And 
I'm going to give you a very different, um, unexpected kind of answer. Okay. The, is, it, the is it a pirated DVD? Is that what you give people as a pirated uh, DVD? No, Julie, not, movie from the 80s? not only is it a pirated DVD, I see your dog lounging on the day bed back there. <laughs> I can get him a job sniffing DVDs. You know, he, that's. He, oh. he does not want, he has the best job. Ever is just basically sitting here looking handsome and yeah, he just looked up here just talking about him. He said, Job, job. Oh, no, that's not a good thing. I got a best gig in town, exactly. I no, I don't think there is, Jimmy. And I'll tell you, I can't recommend a simple thing, but here's what I want to say instead. Okay, when people are looking for mentors, when they're looking at people like me at one end of a career. What they don't hear and what they don't see is the path that gets people here. And all I can say is it's not linear. It's not even when you're in the middle of it, something that you'll understand. You know, I, I, I used to like to hike quite a bit. And sometimes you take a trail up the side of a mountain and the trees are obscuring where you are and there's switchbacks and you're not quite sure you're in the right place. And then you break of the original button and you can see exactly where you are and how the trail got here. I spent about eight years working for the Public Relations Association of America. I didn't like that job very much. I mean, I, I will confess, but I learned a lot. And in the middle of it, I was deeply challenged very often working for 32,000 PR people all across the country. Oh, dear well, Lord. Okay, exactly. But what I learned, and I didn't realize it at the time, what I learned has helped me enormously in the coffee job, helping consumers understand about coffee drinking and looking at all the media coverage of coffee. And I really love my job here at the Coffee Association. So oh, I, I think the message here is this. I don't think there is like a single book or an author there's not anything you can look to. I think you need to make sure you understand who you are. And that's an ongoing process because we all keep changing as we go through life. And I think this is as much about understanding who you are and keeping true, trying to uncover that than anything else. And that's not as simple. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a t-shirt. It's not even on a coffee mug, believe it or not. I know, I know. Very sad, very, very sad. You know, I um, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, my parents were the first of their generation to to go on to professional education. My mother was a nurse, and my father was in the Navy. And on the GI Bill, he became an electrical engineer and went to Westinghouse, where he worked. I was uh, a very sick kid. I spent 14 years with ulcerative colitis that just ravaged me. I was, I dropped out of college, halfway through college, I was bored out of my skull in college. And, you know, if you would look at where I was and what I was doing and say, we're going to interview this guy about mentorship. <laughs> I, I almost thought for a minute you wanted to interview me about all the things not to do along the way, you know, and then I realized that that wasn't the thing. So, okay. But I think the point is there are these switchbacks like on that road up that mountain, there are these curves. And I think being able to ask yourself consistency, the right questions consistently, to being able to rely on somebody you can trust, 
to help you in your answers to those questions, those are the things that you really need to do. And, you know, I don't think there's any shortcuts. And sometimes in the middle of it, you're not even going to be sure you're on the right course. But I think if you keep looking back to who you are, what your values are, your ethics, and trying to be true, eventually you'll pop out over the tree line and, and have a vision that you ended up in a good place. So, so Bill, if I can try to say back what I just heard, given that you work for the Public uh, Relations Association, you kind of said, when things get really busy and jumbled, take a seat with a good cup of coffee and just think <laughs> about the right questions to ask. Julie, is Jimmy, are you looking for, because I mean, I don't have anything right now, Jimmy, but you know, I, that, that is like so impressive. I, I'm going to, I'm going to write that down and, and you know. no, no, just, just, just put it on a cup of coffee and send it to Julie. She could use another mug. Yeah. There, there we go. I could definitely use another mug. All the good coffee exactly stuff, right. by the way. I've, ta I've taught Jimmy a lot about message houses, you know, as a, as a communications professional as well. So yeah, just the, yeah, that's what it's about. Is that that phenomenal communication bill. Oh my gosh, this is such a treat. I'm like covered in goosebumps. It was so great to hear you had such great insight and wisdom. And um, I think that we got a ton out of this time with you. So thank you so much. I really wish you were in New York. Wow, we hope you enjoyed this deep dive with Bill reminding us how complex we all are and to keep a mug half full mindset. We'll be back next week with our Augmenter's fourth principle of mentoring, the pitch. Talking about the best way to reach out to your target mentor guide. And who better to school us than the pinnacle pitch people of all, the Everest team at QVC. Watch out, might just find yourself with a fabulous new cast iron skillet and a pair of strappy wedges, who knows? If you wanna help Julie and Jimmy in our mentoring journey, then please subscribe, because we all should ask for help. Thank you to our producer, Erica Samus. See you soon. Music